3: This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to The Tom Sumner Show.
4: Here you have folks who want to be in the limelight, so to speak, and they want to be the leader. But somehow they didn't understand that a part of my job as a leader is to help create enthusiasm
5: to educate those that I want to serve so that they engage.
6: And, and trust, again, to go back to that same Right, 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 before.
5: right. You, you engender, um, mm. engender trust. So we didn't ongoing see celebration. Um, that connection
4: to, you know, folks actually deciding to run and then people coming out to vote.
0: The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation.
3: This is Woodrow Stanley, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Stream us live weekdays at 9 Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com, made possible by listeners like you.
0: The Tom Sumner Program, old-fashioned radio for a new generation.
3: Hey, welcome back, everybody, to part two of this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition, our panel of uh, political pundits includes uh, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And uh, sitting in for Henry Hatter... (coughs) who is uh, at the uh, Woodrow Stanley funeral this morning, which just got underway a couple of minutes ago. Uh, Wes Whitaker sitting in. Wes, welcome back. It's great to have you here.
4: Thank you, Tom. I appreciate you inviting me.
3: And joining us uh, is uh, a frequent visitor to uh, armchair politics, the author of American Schism, Seth David Radwell. Seth, welcome back. Thanks for uh, being here.
2: Thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here with you, gentlemen.
3: Um, let's see, where did, we, uh, where did we leave up? Oh, okay, this is a fun one. Um, the Michigan Supreme Court declined a request to reconsider its earlier ruling dismissing a lawsuit filed by Detroit lawmakers in a Wednesday order standing by its decision to uphold the new congressional and state legislative maps in the face of allegations that the new lines would disenfranchise black voters in asking the court to take the unusual step of reevaluating its own ruling the Detroit caucus a group of state lawmakers from the city and other democrats and local politicians who brought the lawsuit called the courts four to three ruling a terrible mistake they filed an emergency motion for a uh, rehearing last Friday A brief order uh, denying the motion stated that the court was not convinced reconsideration was warranted. Justices Richard Bernstein, David Viviano, and Brian Zara, who dissented to the the, uh, court's decision to dismiss the lawsuit, disagreed with the Wednesday order denying the request for the court to reconsider its ruling. They would have granted the motion for reconsideration, the order states. Are you surprised by the ruling and the bipartisan nature of the dissent?
6: Mm, not really. Again, my, my, my initial thought when I heard about the case was that the time was getting so tight that, in terms of filing deadlines and all that that I just wondered if there was en- enough time to reconsider and start redrawing those lines. That, that was my only thought. So I, I wasn't surprised by the outcome.
4: I have, haven't we reached a point in time where we have the uh, the computing skills and technology available to have an algorithm that determines these districts with boundaries that everybody recognizes and can easily understand and fairly distributes the districts around according to the population without? All this gerrymandering and political maneuvering.
3: Well, I've, why
4: are we still doing it this way? This is just. Yeah, I've I've
3: asked that same question, and it's a, it's a good one, Wes. I don't I don't know why we don't just sick AI on it. Of course, my yeah. only
6: thought is that I, I have a hunch you'd get a
3: a Democratic
6: lo- logarithm and a Republican logarithm that would do their work for them. I mean, I, depends how you draw the logarithms, I suppose.
4: Uh, no, that's why that's why I agree with Tom is is make artificial intelligence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Make sure that it's it totally of, non-biased.
2: Exactly one of the, one of the things that's interesting that you guys mentioned is in w- one of the discussions in in my book is about how to get past this the problem of gerrymandering. There's software that can draw districts from any county seat using you know artificial intelligence. It doesn't need to be done by people uh but based on sorting zip codes so i wonder like if we, if if congressional districts or or voting districts in general should be determined using algorithms as opposed to people
4: exactly yeah you know, take take the take the political factor out of it right exactly that way no nobody right. can complain well, you're you're biased this way or you're biased that way or you're a democrat or you're a republican there's a lot of people like me that are Starting to consider themselves in a third camp.
6: and I think it's—I think that's been done occasionally. I think I, somewhere I read—I believe they did that in Iowa. Now it was fairly easy in Iowa because they think they only had four districts to consider, and they just sort of sliced the state into quarters. So it wasn't right. really that complex a thing. But I think it has been done occasionally here and there. Well, that, it's
2: definitely a theme because if, if, you, if you believe, as I do, that our political system is largely broken. Then we need reforms and and the two parties today have a lock on on a lot of what happens. One of the reasons why i I tend to work, and I think Tom knows this I work a lot for for ranked choice voting, which I think is a, a a better way to get other candidates not mm-hmm. in or other points of view in in the in the election uh, system
4: That's why I made the point in economic warfare that was a reason why the founding fathers did not include political parties in the constitution. That's
6: right. In the fact, they hope there wouldn't be any. Yeah, they
4: were they wrong would, they almost immediately.
6: Yeah. It was,
2: but just, yeah. It was definitely one of George way. Washington's uh big warnings when he left.
3: Well, here's here's one on a on a kind of related note. As Michigan's redistricting commission stares down multiple lawsuits challenging its congressional and state legislative maps. It will now have to defend itself against a lawsuit from one of its own members. Republican Commissioner Aaron Wagner filed a complaint Wednesday against the commission alleging that the body on which she serves has failed to respond to her request for records. The complaint filed in the Michigan Court of Claims states that Wagner requested records from the commission on December 23rd seeking all communications between commissioners and the group's attorneys and other commission communications. The complaint states that the request has gone unanswered and passed the timeline for responding to a records request under Michigan's Freedom of Information Act. An email attached to the complaint form attached to the complaint from Juliana Pastula, the Commission's general counsel and FOIA coordinator sent on January 4th noted that the Commission extended the timeline to respond to the request by 10 business days and promised a notice on or before January 19th. What does it say about the Commission's transparency if its own members can't access records and communications? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you can just sort of shake your head about this
6: one. I, I don't know. Yeah, I saw that story. And it, I don't know.
3: Unbelievable.
4: Yeah. Circular firing squad. <laughs>
3: yeah, I, I like that. Uh, I like that visual, Wes. Yeah. Okay, well, let's see. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken will no longer meet with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov in Geneva this week, he announced yesterday in the latest sign that diplomatic avenues with Russia over Ukraine are quickly closing. Now that we see the invasion is beginning and Russia has made clear its wholesale rejection of diplomacy, it does not make sense to go forward with that meeting at this time, Blinken said. I consulted with our allies and partners all agree. Blinken's announcement comes a day after Russian President Vladimir Putin recognized two separatist regions in Ukraine as independent and announced he would deploy peacekeeping forces there. U.S. President Joe Biden and top U.S. officials said Tuesday that Putin's moves marked the beginning of a new Russian invasion of Ukraine and Biden announced a first tranche of sanctions in response. Blinken said he sent a letter to Lavrov on Tuesday to inform him of the decision. Is there still any hope for a diplomatic solution? Mm. Traditionally,
4: tra- traditionally, you you have diplomacy right up to the point where everything just erupts in gunfire. You don't say, "Well, I'm just not going to talk to you anymore." That's that's not diplomatic. That's, I'm right. taking my toys and going off. Yeah,
6: that was a very very strange reaction. I think, and I mean, the gunfire has started sort of, and was it going to go any further than that? We'll see. But it uh, uh, I-, I was surprised at that
4: it reinforces the wag the dog analogy
6: perhaps so yeah perhaps so
3: well and again i i find this is the first time i've ever heard uh the word tranche used <laughs> yeah uh-huh. and, and and when did um when did russians ever send out peacekeepers <laughs> right. <True>. Exactly.
6: <laughs> that's usually our our practice, right?
3: Well, yeah. That's that's what we call it when oh yeah playing, yeah when we're exactly. playing the world's uh, policemen. We do it under the guise of being peacekeepers, and I it's almost as if when I hear Putin or or the Russian media refer to. Russian troops in these um, uh, oh, what are they? What are they calling them? Uh, um, separatist regions, right? As peacekeepers, it's almost as if uh, Putin <laughs> is is giving Joe Biden the finger.
6: Yeah, by using the term, I see what you're saying. Yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, it's, it's just such a tongue-in-cheek thing. I mean, I, I can almost see Putin just before the camera, you know, light comes on saying, oh, watch this. I'm, I'm going <laughs> I'm, I'm to call us peacekeepers. <laughs> and and, that's, and right. those are the things that stand out to me as I watch this, this whole story unfold that makes it feel like it's scripted and people pl- are playing out roles. I see, yeah. Well,
4: pay no attention to the man behind the curtain.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly right. Well, I did mention that um, Woodrow Stanley's uh, funeral is underway, and uh, we have a break coming up here in about a minute and a half. and. What I'm going to uh, try to do, and I'll see if it works this first time, and if it does, I'll do it during both, uh, both, eh, we call them commercial breaks, even though they're not really. Um, But uh, what I'm going to try to do is uh, see if I can join their live stream of uh, Mr. Stanley's funeral and... um, Perhaps. Yeah, maybe. I'm sitting
6: in front of my computer and I'm watching it. I've turned the sound down, but it's it's coming through. At least the, the the visuals coming through fine. It seems
3: here. Well, let's let's see. If yeah. And a time to speak, a time to love. Yeah, it looks like I'm going to be able to do this. So, what uh, what we're going to do is we're going to join the live stream of uh, Mayor Stanley's uh, funeral for the four minutes that we go to break, then we'll come back and continue armchair politics like we always do. And we'll have another break where we'll join the funeral, uh, in, in progress, uh, a little later in the hour. But, um, we're going to go ahead and do that right now. Um, that'll, that'll be true for people streaming the show at Tom Sumner If you're listening to, uh, the show on, uh, Our broadcast partner, uh, WFOV92.1 FM in Flint, Uh, we're going to let them go to break or uh, squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. But for those of you that are streaming the show, we are going to join the um, Stanley Funeral already in progress.
1: All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters.
5: For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that ye which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. God's word is already blessed. I pray that it blesses God's people stanley family we want you to know that we're indebted to you for all that you have gave to this community may god continue to bless you and may he strengthen you during this time of bereavement won't encourage you to look to the hills from with come with your help i can't tell you it's gonna get easier but i can tell you god will help you get through somebody here know what i'm talking about i was asked by pastor banks to now introduce the soloist sister carrie Edwards Clemens will come now and render a solo for us. God bless you. Family, we're praying for you.
0: If I can help some
1: As I pass along If I can help somebody With a word or song If
0: I can help
1: somebody when they're traveling wrong, then my living shall not.
2: This is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
3: Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue with uh, today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Uh, sitting in for uh, Henry Hatter, we have uh, Wes Whitaker. Henry has uh, gone to Woodrow Stanley's funeral this morning. He called me yesterday to tell me he wouldn't be here today, and Wes uh, thankfully was available and and willing to sit in for Henry today. We have our roundtable regular Paul Rosicki joining us, and uh, also kind of fun to have back the author of uh, American Schism, Seth Radwell. And uh, as we continue Let's see the Supreme Court said on Tuesday that it will not take up former President Donald Trump's case challenging the disclosure of his White House documents to the House January 6th investigation a former a formal conclusion to his unsuccessful bid to keep those records secret. The court had previously rejected Trump's emergency request to block the National Archives from turning over the materials while the court considered whether to take up the case. The documents Trump was trying to block in court are already in the hands of the House Select Committee investigating January 6. Tuesday's order, which included no further explanation of why the court was not taking up the case, means that the lower court decisions approving the release of the documents will stand. The National Archives continues to process Trump-era presidential and vice presidential records requested by the House investigation, while Trump maintains he can assert executive privilege over some records to keep them secret. More are set to be turned over to the House next week. Trump has not returned to court on the topic since the Supreme Court denied his emergency request last month. What happens if the committee determines that former President Trump was instrumental in inciting the January 6th Capitol riot? Well, at the very
6: least, it becomes a dynamite political issue and maybe even a legal one beyond that. I mean, it's possible.
2: Yeah, I, I think the, for the, fir, the, fir, the first step is, is going to be about shoring up the constitutional requirements regarding transition of power. So I think, I think that the congressional activity will relate to, to try to prevent such a thing from happening in the future. But I think, I think you're right about that there may be legal repercussions um, if, if there are a, lot, a lot of laws were broken, which will then get referred to the Justice Department.
6: Yeah, it could be a long, drawn-out process, but again, it, it looks like. I mean, well, it depends whether within those documents, but the indications are certainly that the potential is there for some serious legal cha- legal charges to to arise, and that that could be a major issue for certainly until 2024, I would think.
2: Well, the the political the political discussion will be a, as usual a political football which will get tossed back and forth, right? In, between two sides, but but I think that in in context, in the broader context, historically, um, as more and more information comes out, it does seem that this w- there was a fair amount of coordination of the the whole series of events relating to uh, preventing the peaceful transition of power, which is a hallmark, of course, of our democracy. So yeah, I was just
6: saying. When I first saw that on, on January 6th, I thought it was just an unruly mob. And as things developed, you heard about the, the phone calls, the planning, the fake electoral ballots, things like that. So it, it does seem to have some serious planning behind it. And exactly who called who and who emailed who is, remains to be seen. But it certainly <clears throat> looked like there was some serious pre-planning in the whole operation.
3: Well, at, yeah. least, one, at least one congressman thought it was uh, a bunch of tourists.
6: That's right. <laughs> so pretty, pretty rambunctious tourist, to say the least. Yeah. Uh-huh.
3: Maybe he was from Florida. And he, he, he's he's <laughs> was judging Florida by tourist. spring break. Right, yeah, maybe that was it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Animal house tourist. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, the Department of Defense is considering a request for the District of Columbia National Guard to assist law enforcement agencies in Washington, D.C. that are preparing for convoys to descend on the area, even as plans for a Canada-style trucker protest in the U.S. Capitol remain murky. The Department is analyzing a request for uh, assistance from the U.S. Capitol Police and the D.C. Homeland Security and Emergency Management Agency, DOD spokesman John Kirby said in a statement. Those agencies have asked for National Guard personnel to provide support at traffic control points in and around the district to help the uh, um, U.S. Capitol Police and the uh, and D.C. government address uh, potential challenges stemming from possible disruptions at key traffic arteries, Kirby added. No decisions have been made yet to approve these requests. Area law enforcement, including the Maryland State Police, Metropolitan Police Department in D.C. and the United States Capitol Police, are closely monitoring the situation and in some cases ramping up security to deal with the possibility of major disruptions in the days leading up to and around President Joe Biden's State of the Union Address. On March 1st, it's unclear if any of the trucker convoys will materialize. One group says they are planning to head from Pennsylvania to the uh, District of Columbia on Wednesday morning, arriving in the afternoon after a stop in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, according to Bob Bolas, a trucker from Scranton, uh, PA. They are hoping to disrupt the highways around D.C. and put a stranglehold on the D.C. economy," Bullis said. "Should there be a post January sixth protocol? Mm.
4: What do you mean? What do you mean a protocol?
3: Um. Well, there. You know, as as uh, communications have have come out of the January sixth event, it's it's being alleged that people were calling for help and calling this agency and that agency and some didn't think that the people asking had the authority to ask and couldn't reach the people who did. Should they just have a, a, um, a system in place knowing now that something like this can happen, that that a protest can become unruly at the Capitol and other Landmarks in the nation's capital. Shouldn't there be a um, a, a call chain? Well,
2: yeah. Right.
6: D- didn't I see a story that they're putting up the fences around the, the capital already for the State of the Union? I, I thought I saw some headline. I didn't read the story, but a headline that suggested they were putting up those fence, fence, those barriers again, uh, in preparation for the uh, State of the Union message
4: anybody who's been to Washington, D.C. knows that if you have just 500 truckers get on the beltway and drive 30 miles an hour, you're going to shut that city down.
6: Oh, yeah. You uh, know, you ever
4: know. Tried, <laughs> I mean, it's, and, and, you, and you can't have the government saying, well, we're going to allow some some forms of free speech. And not allow other forms of free speech. If you do that, we're going to end up at you know in the 1960s all over again, where people are just mm. saying enough's enough because it's, yeah. it has gotten to that point where the average person that is you know halfway educated is starting to say, wait a minute, you know what's the government saying this? What's the government saying that? I'm grieving for Canada because Canada used to be. The other bastion of freedom that we could point to and say, see, we're not alone. But now uh, you wonder what in the heck is going on here.
6: You know, the the odd thing that strikes me about the truckers' protests, though, my understanding was their main thing was the vaccine mandates. Those things are falling by the wayside all over the place right now. And uh, I'm I'm a little unclear about what the issue even is.
4: Well, the vaccine mandates was, was the vocal issue, but the real issue was, was government overreach, government telling people what they can and cannot do outside of the laws that we have allowed our legislators to impose on us for our society. But we've reached a point now where bureaucratic regulations have the force of law. That's not in the Constitution. It's, it, nowhere is there a legal precedent for that. But it's becoming more and more the case, and people are finally waking up and saying, wait a minute, I can't even scratch my butt without some bureaucrat writing a form. Hmm. And it's, it's
3: gotten to the point of insanity. Maybe we need some Russian peacekeepers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> doing uh, who knows? Yeah, yeah. I like what Greg Gutfeld
4: said the other day about how we need to send uh, peacekeepers up to Ottawa.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, but... But my point would be if if law enforcement is being threatened, and I don't care if it's truckers from Canada or from Pennsylvania or Black Lives Matter or QAnon, if 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 protests and and um, demonstrations become unruly. We need to have a system in place to address that. Or, yeah, or, or I, I guess what right. I'm asking is, do we need a system in place? Um, can can we call what happened on January 6th adequate?
6: I mean, this may go back to Seth's book. I mean, it seems like almost everything becomes divisive. Like I say, the, the mandates are are on their way out, it appears to be. But there's still the protests just for the spirit of protest, I, as I say, it may go back to some of the stuff Seth's talked about in in his book.
2: You know, it, it, one of the most interesting things that, in terms of historical precedents related to January sixth, that you never hear talked about, is uh, what Washington wrote around Shay's Rebellion in 1787, which was a, you know, January sixth was by far the first armed rebellion or insurrection against the government. Shays' Rebellion in 1787 was a, a, an attempt to overthrow the government of Massachusetts because of uh, Shays, who was a revolutionary war hero, uh, was incensed, as was his compatriots, at the plan of the Federalists to pay for the war, while, uh, which, which, of course, was to tax people like Daniel Shays, while, while, while the bankers who held the debt were getting rich. So in that rebellion, what Washington was very clear about, the, well, there was a right to protest, Government's role is to stop an uh, uh, insurrection with force, if need be, um, because it, unless it meets the criteria that was were laid out in in 1776, which clearly uh, neither Shay's Rebellion nor January 6th did. In other words, it, the the the, the uh, association that was being made by Shay's people was this is another another chance to overthrow essential power like we did on July uh, 1776 when we proclaimed independence and Washington shut that argument down using a very a very uh, solid analysis so I, I would ac- agree with you Tom that we need we need to use force if need be or have a system to stop protests which are entirely legal from getting violent and that's on both sides of the aisle
4: I'm curious about the January 6th incident, though, because I've been in Washington, D.C., and I've walked around Washington, D.C., and from the time that Trump finished speaking to the time the windows started being broken out at the Capitol building, you cannot physically walk from point A to point B in that amount of time. So that begs the question of, you know, whether bad actors already in place, <laughs> interesting.
6: And I think that may be one thing we learn in this when we, when we get these these documents and these phone calls and these emails in this January 6th committee we may learn some details about exactly how this was coordinated and who was where and all the rest so
3: yeah see I think a lot is going to be made out of um, things the president said did and didn't do but my question was what happens if the committee determines that, um, that that was the last question, um, that former uh, President Trump was instrumental in inciting those people on the Hill, because it certainly didn't take that long to get a tweet to him. Right. Um, and, well, what, and I, what, I understand. About, Nancy? I, I understand about um, a lot being made out of uh, then President Trump's comment. Let's walk down there. And what about
4: Nancy Pelosi's responsibility? The Speaker of the House is responsible for the security of the Capitol. So, if you're going to go after somebody for dereliction of duty, I think the buck stops there. Well, she obviously was not. I'm not. I'm
3: by no means, Wes, a fan of Nancy Pelosi. But there's a lot of difference between somebody saying, you know, attack the idiots and being an idiot.
6: And particularly the attempts to to uh, to murder the vice president.
2: You know, I, I think that's precisely why we do, you know, the investigation is justified. We need to understand what happened. There certainly must have been responsibility from Nancy Pelosi if, if, if there wasn't a protocol for dealing with this. So there's a lot, a lot, of, a lot of issues that, you know, it, it, my wish would be that we can really get to the facts, uh, independent of all the political bullshit, excuse my French, um, but it's, of course that's very hard to do.
4: Uh, if there were protocols in place that go all the way back to the Puerto Rican bombings in the 70s. They, this isn't the first time that that things have happened in the capital, and it's certainly not the worst thing that's happened in the capital. For her to just totally act like, "Oh my God, this was a shock and a surprise, and we're just stunned, and it's all Trump's fault," I think that's disingenuous.
3: Oh, no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm saying in in the wake of what happened on January 6th. Um, you know should there should there be a protocol for maintaining law and order that was that question the other question was just what what do we do what are the legal implications if we you know if if this group determines that that Trump did incite lawless behavior
6: well, then it would be up to the, assume, the attorney general to see whether this charge is filed. I mean, I'm not sure the Congress can file the charges. As it, and,
3: it, and I, I agree yeah. with Wes. It, it certainly wasn't the, the first time that violence uh, yeah, showed up on the, the doorstep of the <coughs> Capitol building. Gerald Ford took a bullet in the mid-50s or early 50s um, on the floor of the uh, right. Capitol. And, yeah. and um, you know, so it's it's... Certainly not the first uh, the first violent act, and it isn't all um, and it isn't all attributable to Donald Trump. But um, right did but did he act irresponsibly? You know, in the during and the, I think
6: the the key thing is was there White House that, coordination, whether it was Trump personally or somebody else in the White House staff. Yeah, as I say, right. we'll, we'll see whether or not there were. As I say, that's where those emails and those phone calls are going to matter. It may have not have been Trump's own words, but whether staffers working for the White House or others connected with the Trump organization and were part of that.
2: It certainly seems that there are at least, it, whether they were directed by Trump or not, that many in his circle were involved in some of the activities relating to what happened on, on the 6th. So, I mean, I, yeah. as you read so go after the data. Yes, so somebody, go after you, them. It may not I mean, be Trump, this, this, it, may, it may be it may be other people like, like our friend uh, Roger Stone, who was there, and in many of them, you know, there may be people that had been
6: involved. Steve Bannon, perhaps, you know. It's yeah, certainly. correct. Yeah.
4: So go, so go after them. I'm, this, this Trump bashing has become the equivalent of the modern-day witch-burning. I mean, it's gotten to the point of absurdity. One guy is responsible for all the evils in, in American politics. And it's all coming from people who have professionally vested in the status quo of our government, and have made themselves millionaires by manipulating the system. We want to investigate the corruption in government and what's going wrong in government? We need to start with, you know, how is it somebody can make two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, or whatever they're getting paid now, and in six years they're a millionaire, and they have to pay for their office staff and everything else. You know, we're we're, we're swallowing. The camel and, and ignoring you know, what really the the problem is here. Now, I'm I, I'm just getting tired of hearing the. I'm not a big Trump fan personally. I don't like his tweets, but my God, the man, the man is not the second coming of Adolf Hitler.
2: I think I think there's two different things. I'd certainly concur with what you're saying regarding the importance of of. Rooting out what has become a corrupt political system in so many levels, and I and I think your your points are very valid. I, but at the, at the same time, I think there there Trump uh, broke a lot of norms, both both uh, norms relating to speaking and leading, and norms relating to how he used the office, and that's what people are reacting to. So it wasn't a diff-
4: exactly
2: nothing was different. But,
4: but what did when he used the office? How did he enrich himself? The man didn't even take a salary. He he oh, used the know. system because he refused to play the game the way the professional politicians have in- constructed the game to be played. And he exposed them for the hypocrisy that, that they they operate in. That's why they go after him. Because he's exposed well, I, the fact that Washington D C is has become entity into itself. Instead of serving the people, it serves itself.
2: I don't I don't Concur with the notion that he didn't enrich himself. I mean, if you look at the way the executive branch used Trump company resources, it's kind of astounding uh, in terms of how that broke with precedent.
6: True, true. Yeah, well, a lot of those uh, those visits to Mar-a-Lago and all were paid for, for very heavily with federal funds and so forth. So,
2: I mean, when you say it's it, never it, happened, it, happened
4: say, before.
6: Well, well, that's, when you, that's, that's it.
2: Happened now, and, and when you when he's raising money about to stop the steal, that he's allowed to personally keep forty percent of the funds that are raised. I mean that that's not outrageous in terms of well, using political movement. I, I don't know what
3: is.
4: Well, we certainly I agree. I, the we're fundraising's out of control. I agree with that.
3: We certainly haven't got time to pick apart all of the the financial implications of a Trump presidency. And I want to squeeze one more thing in before we go to break. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds will deliver the Republican response to President Joe Biden's upcoming State of the Union address. Uh, Senate Minority Leader uh, Mitch McConnell and House GOP Leader Kevin McCarthy announced yesterday that Reynolds will give the Republican address to the nation from Des Moines, Iowa, after the conclusion of Biden's speech. His remarks are scheduled to uh, take place next week on uh, March 1st. The speech will give Reynolds a prominent uh, national platform to speak to the country and counter Biden's message. It comes as Republicans work to make their case to the American public ahead of pivotal midterm elections that will determine which party controls the House and Senate. In a preview of one of the themes the Iowa governor is likely to touch on in her rebuttal speech, McConnell and McCarthy both praised her handling of the coronavirus pandemic which has drawn national attention and sparked controversy and pushback from democrats will mask and vaccine mandates be the major issue of the 2022 midterm election campaign i think i think government overreach should be the issue
6: i think it's going to be the economy inflation some related issues along those lines, uh, probably. Um, and, and again, I think the, the pandemic's going to matter. If the pandemic is gone, then it's going to be more so the economy if it, comes, it bounces back. But if we're still right. back in the middle of a pandemic situation, I think that's going to be the overriding issue.
2: Was your question for 2024 or this year?
3: No, for this year, for the midterms. Okay. Yeah, because I think the 2024, they're saving
4: Christy. No, <laughs> <laughs> Throw the nuclear bomb in there.
3: Yeah, I, I think you might be right, Wes. Anyway, we're going to take a, uh, a short break, and we'll be back with the final segment of today's edition of uh, Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program. If you're listening to us, at WFOV 92.1 LPFM in Flint. They are broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we're going to join the Woodrow Stanley funeral in progress. But we'll be back with the X-Files. Hey, this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now,
1: and now, and now too, and even now. Equity and justice, bringing our people together to nurture and strengthen our common bonds and help lead the way to higher ground. While he, was, while he has been taken away from us far too soon, his powerful leadership, example and accomplishments are a living legacy he now leaves here with us. And we acknowledge that whatever more he might yet have done is now left for all of us to do. And to his exceptional wife, Rita, a wonderful and gracious former first lady of Flint and to the entire Stanley family, please know that we, as we mourn with you, we want to also express our deep thank you for sharing Woodrow with us all these many years. They're all great but you guys know dad loved the city. So thank you Mayor Neely City of Flint Office of the Mayor resolution of condolence. Mayor Sheldon A. Neely expressed his profound regret upon learning of the passing of Woodrow Stanley sunrise June 12, 1950 sunset February 16, 2022 and tenders to the bereaved family and friends his most sincere and heartfelt sympathy Whereas, Mr. Woodrow Stanley grew up in the city of Flint and attended Flint Public Schools. He worked for nearly 20 years as an employment and training counselor and administrator, serving with the Urban League of Flint, Greater Flint Opportunities Industrialization Center, and the Human Investment Development Corporation. And whereas, his career as as an elected leader started in 1983, when he was appointed second ward councilman, a position in which he held for four terms before becoming elected for mayor in 1991, where his signature project as mayor was the development of University Park, which became the first subdivision developed in Flint in decades. And whereas during his lengthy political career, he also served six years in the Michigan legislature he was also a member of the Genesee County Board of Commissioners for many years before being elected elected to the Michigan House of Representatives. And whereas Woodrow Stanley was committed to building youth through community engagement and opportunities, in 1991 he started the Woodrow Stanley Youth Foundation to affirm this commitment. The foundation has awarded thousands in funds to youth serving nonprofits in Flint and in college scholarships to youth who have excelled in the areas of academics and community service whereas we have also we have lost a true community hero and pillar of flint politics in woodrow stanley he leaves us after a lifetime of commitment and service to the city of flint and its residents a role model and mentor to many his decades of advocacy for youth placed our community on an upward trajectory that will continue to benefit us all. Now, therefore, it be it resolved that the city of Flint extend its heartfelt sympathies to his wife and their daughters and all those that loved him. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust my shield Sumner
3: program. And welcome back, everybody, as we continue with the final segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics, which is where we uh, get into those weird and wacky stories i call the x files and uh, we start out with um, this one the remains of a mini boat launched by new hampshire middle schoolers has been discovered by a 6th grade student in norway 462 days and more than 8 more than 8300 miles later It was an eventful journey for the five-and-a-half-foot boat, which was built by two consecutive middle school science classes in partnership with the nonprofit organization Educational Passages and first set sail from massachusetts in october of 2020 the boat's gps reported intermittently over the years until the end of january when a family recovered it from an uninhabited norwegian island thanks to a social media connection our mini boat made it to the local school in norway their sixth grade class opened the hatch to find our package of materials all dry inside amazing considering the condition it was in. Is a message in a mini-boat a new message in a bottle when it comes to sail mail? <laughs> it sounds like it, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm surprised there wasn't a main boat from Florida. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, as, as, on the subject of boats, it's not exactly smooth sailing these days in the Dutch port city of Rotterdam, where locals are voicing their objection to a plan that would temporarily dismantle a historic bridge to enable the passage of a record-breaking yacht reportedly owned by former Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos. Uh. In in fact, some are already making plans, albeit in jest, for what they will do if the project comes to fruition Throw eggs at the yacht as it traverses the water under the Koningshaven Bridge, known locally as De Hef. Some 13,000 people are interested, and nearly 4,000 have said they will attend a Facebook event titled Throwing Eggs at Super Yacht Jeff Bezos. <laughs>
2: That's the best story I heard today.
3: Which which has been shared more than a thousand times in the week since its creation. Calling all Rotterdammers, take a box of rotten eggs with you and let's throw them en masse at Jeff's super yacht when it sails through the Hef. In Rotterdam, wrote organizer Pablo Storman He told the... Uh, NL Times that the protest started as a joke among friends and has quickly gotten way out of hand. The English language news site also notes that this isn't Straumann's first campaign to go viral. The news of de Heft's potential disassembly, however brief, has clearly struck a chord with both locals and international observers. Now if we were to transpose this, if some huge boat headed through the Straits of Mackinac meant that the big mac would have to be temporarily dismantled would you let go some egos? <laughs> probably so <laughs>
6: cool. hey what can you say it's a tough time to be a billionaire <laughs> <laughs> poor, poor guy i feel
2: like
5: right.
3: well here's here's it it doesn't seem like it could get sillier and yet it does The mayor who suggested that allowing ice fishing shanties on a lake could lead to prostitution (laughs) resigned Monday after days of being mocked and drawing national attention to the city. Hudson Mayor Craig Schubert said in his resignation letter that his comments at a city council meeting had been misinterpreted. My attempt to inject a bit of dry humor to make a point about this, in the midst of a cold, snowy February was grossly misunderstood, Schubert said. During the discussion about whether to permit people to fish on the frozen city lake last week, Schubert said he wanted to raise some data points. Does someone come back next year and say, I want an ice shanty on Hudson Springs Park for X amount of time, Schubert said, and if you then allow ice fishing with, sh- with shanties, Then that leads to another problem, prostitution. (laughs) Now you've got the police chief and the police department involved. Schubert later said his comment about ice shanties and prostitution stemmed from his experience as a television news reporter covering law enforcement agencies that have arrested people for prostitution in shanties. He said he was concerned about the potential for unintended consequences. Um, aside from the whole cancel culture implications of this story, do ice shanties make good brothels? <laughs> I, Depends
4: on if they're heated or not.
3: Yeah, I would I guess, guess maybe that's, that's the key element. I, but I can
6: imagine a lot better places for that.
4: <laughs> Being an expert in having your humorous comments misinterpreted and thrown against you like <laughs> so, many, so many piles of dark do, <laughs> I I sympathize with the mayor. <laughs> I,
6: I am surprised he resigned over it, though. I am, I, yeah, have, I am too. Yeah, I, I am too.
3: He took that action good, yeah. pretty pretty easily. I suspect he he was already pretty close to his wits end. Yeah. Um, well, a Michigan woman will soon celebrate a milestone birthday. How old? Look at her decorative upper arm. Gloria Wieberg has New York, New York, 1922 tattooed on her left arm the year and place of her birth. Wieberg is turning 100 on March 2nd. Not a typical age to visit a tattoo artist, but that's what she has done every 10 years since turning 80. The Herald Palladium, according to the Herald Palladium, her birth year and New York is uh, under a goddess representing Mother Earth, added at age 80 and among seven stars representing her children which she added at age 90. Weberg said her late husband raised their family in the Chicago area. She got She got a college degree at age 55 from Chicago State University and worked as a social worker. They moved to St. Joseph 30 years ago. My secret is being active, Weberg said of her longevity, to be aware of what's going on in the world in every way from what my children were doing, their education, how important that was to me. She performs aerobics while watching TV news and regularly enjoys a glass of red wine. A tattoo hmm. at 110, probably something like "Are you still here, or I'm still here?" Weberg said. <laughs> <laughs> would,
4: well, I, I heard that she had a sell-by date tattooed on her left buttock. So.
3: <laughs> best <laughs> is, best <laughs> used by. <laughs> would would you would you get a commemorative tattoo at age 100, or are you more the George H. W. Bush type and would rather jump out of an airplane?
6: Um, that's. I might settle for the tattoo. One of those conditions.
4: <laughs> if, that
6: a if those are the
3: only choices,
4: right?
3: Yeah, I'm going well,
4: right God. now. I, I am opposed to tattoos. And I have been most of my life. But if I reach a hundred, I will have a hundred-year tattoo put on my arm.
2: <laughs> Fantastic! Same here. <laughs> That's great.
3: Well, I, I hope you make it. If for no other reason than just to test that you're resolved. <laughs> But, but I want to say thanks. Wes, it was, it was so nice of you on short notice to jump in and fill in for Henry today. Thank you so much for that. Wes Whitaker.
4: Anytime. Thank you Thank for the you, Wes. For it's always a pleasure.
6: And by
3: the way, I think I spot,
4: I,
6: I'm, I'm sitting here watching the funeral on my computer. I think I spotted Henry in the audience. So <laughs> I believe he's there.
3: So he's not playing hooky.
6: Yeah, I, I, I thought, I'm not quite sure, but I, they, they, they panned the camera occasionally across the audience, and I think I saw him.
3: Well, and and I want to thank um, Seth Radwell as well um, for uh, joining us this week. It's always a pleasure when you're part of the conversation, Seth. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Seth. Appreciate it. Thank you, Seth.
4: I'm going to get your book, Seth.
3: Thank and, you. And Paul, I I was half ex- when Henry called me uh, yesterday afternoon. I was half expecting to get a call from you <laughs> immediately well, yeah. following, saying that you weren't going to be available because you were going to be there as well.
6: Yeah. Well, I went to the visitation yesterday, so I, and like I said, I'm sitting here with in front of my computer, and I pulled it up, and I'm just watching it. So <laughs> that'll have to do.
3: Well, thank you, uh, Paul. I I appreciate you uh, being part of it as always.
6: Good to be here. Have a good
3: okay. evening. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. And that's smoking George Winters, tickling the Ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Thanks again to uh, all of the people who uh, participated uh, in the roundtable today. And I want to say thanks to my, my guest this morning. Neil Thompson. Uh, author of the first Kennedys. See you tomorrow. Good night, everybody. The Tom
0: Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show, and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area.